Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. I'm your co-host, Brian Peacock, alongside the scout, Matt Williamson. Today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Built Bar. Been my pre-run companion as I've been trying to get a little bit more exercise during the quarantine, especially now that the draft is over. And remember, with promo code Locked On, you get $10 off your first box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. Continuing our 2020 NFL Draft reviews, next up is the NFC North. We've got the Browns and the Bengals and the Ravens and the Steelers to cover on today's show, Matt. But first, some news, and there's always at least one bit of news, even in the slow parts of the offseason, just about every single day for us here. And today, it's Andy Dalton. We talked last week about how he would be released from Cincinnati, and now he's already found a home, a one-year deal with the Dallas Cowboys. I think he's from Texas. Does that ring a bell? I'm kind of pulling that out spur of the moment. I'm pretty sure he's from that area. I believe you uh, are correct about that, but I don't have yeah. that information in front of me. I think he went to like you know, Drew Brees. There's a couple of them there talking about like Drew Brees' high school. I don't know. I'm kind of making that up as we go. Didn't plan on going down that road. My my apologies <laughs> for that. But I don't think there's a huge market for, you know, quarterbacks at the moment. Cam Newton has found this out. We saw what Winston spent, you know, paid for or, you know, what his contract was. And I don't pe- know that people are beating down the door to sign Andy Dalton. So I think, you know, be a smart team. And I think Dallas is being smart here. And the more I look at the Cowboys, the more I think that they are a true contender. Uh, I think they had some things go against them last year that needs to get fixed. You know, special teams in particular was just awful. Some things like that. Um, a lot of penalties, things like that, you know, the, that they really hurt themselves. But you got a new coach. You got a high-powered offense. I think they're in it to win it. And I think that they're looking at it kind of like the Saints did when they signed Bridgewater, that if Dak goes down for an extended stretch of time, our season isn't over. And I've kind of been teasing this on Twitter, and I think I mentioned it to you, but I put this crazy spreadsheet together of just – some hidden stuff that you don't think about. And uh, I think we had this conversation where average yards per play on offense versus average yards per play on defense, the two top teams in the league last year in that differential, average yards per play on offense minus average part yards per play on defense are your 49ers, a whole yard point three more. And that's just huge when you think about how many plays these guys run throughout the year. But you know who else was tied for first? Dallas. Dallas is better than people think. I mean, they averaged 6.5 yards per play on offense last year. That's wild. Yeah. And the, oh, by the way here, I'm, so I'm looking at, so Katy, Texas is where Andy Dalton is. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Katy, Texas, some uh, uh, famous alumni like Clint Black, Renee Zellweger, Eric Heitman, former 49er and uh, offensive lineman in the NFL. Let's see. uh, Bo Mitchell, Ryan Mouton, Anyway, so yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Katie, yeah, Texas I, stayed in state and went to TCU. Fair enough. Uh, okay. Uh, I didn't plan on going down that road and I wasn't <laughs> sure, but I would think it would be nice for him to go to that area of the country and maybe help a winner and maybe he can give a little guidance to Dak. But most importantly, he is outstanding insurance. And I think he could flourish in that offense. I mean, it's, it's set up really nicely in that, you know, where they're at right now. Do you think it's uh, a situation where he's trying to just, you know, maybe help his image out a little bit, 
go to somewhere where you know he knew he knew it wasn't going to starting job anywhere. So go somewhere, back up somebody. Maybe something crazy happens contract wise with Dak, and you end up being a guy there, or at least rehab your image enough to to try to find a a starting job the following year. Or do you think he's just on that path of now I'm a backup quarterback until I retire? Closer to the latter, you know. That I, I don't know. He'd have to do something pretty dramatic for people to be beating down his door and giving him 25 million again. You know what I mean? I I just don't know that that's in the cards. And I guess if you're going to go to a team and be a backup, go to a team with offensive weapons to where if something does happen to the starter, you could really flourish. And under Mike McCarthy, I think that's actually a great fit for Andy Dalton. What he could possibly do if, if say Dak did get hurt, you know, in week three or something. Yeah. And it really does remind me of the Saints situation, Teddy and Jameis and those guys go in there thinking, if I do get in, boy, I'm in a really sweet situation. And I don't think McCarthy's at the Peyton level, but he's certainly above the Garrett level in terms of developing quarterbacks and offensive prowess and those type of things. But the weaponry and the, the surrounding sporting cast is awesome. Before we get to the AFC North, a few last notes here on, and we are at the deadline now. There's only one player that I've not seen the news about his fifth-year option, that is Malik Hooker, who was the 15th overall selection in the 2017 draft by the Colts, have not seen whether or not they will exercise his option, but all the rest are in. And really, when you look at this draft class, it was a pretty good class, a lot of good players here, but that top five was was really rough. Miles Garrett exercised, then two through four, declined on Mitch Trubisky, declined on Solomon Thomas, declined on... Leonard Fournette and declined on Corey Davis. Yeah, wow, and and it's a good draft class, like you said, but doesn't look at when you look at the very top. And Miles Garrett's really good, and those guys aren't colossal busts. They're not Jamarcus Russell, but yeah, I mean, it shows the depth of that class. But I wonder Corey Davis in particular. Can he go to a new team next year and really light it up? I mean, if he was opposite Michael Thomas, you know, or wherever. I mean. I'm not going to totally write the book on some of those guys yet. Yeah, I think it was a little bit difficult for Corey Davis early in his career, and then now they got another young receiver there, so they're not worried about losing Corey Davis, and and he could have a nice year in his contract season with uh, Tennessee or who knows, get traded to another team. Um, I think a lot of these players make too much money in the top 10. John Ross, his option declined. I mean, you're not going to pay 8 or $9 million for some of these players, even if you could even if they, you know, if you were interested, you're not going to trade for a guy to pay him $8 million a year when he's been mostly a bust with his first team. Right. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's just, it gets to be put up or shut up time. You know, you dra- I'll draft T. Higgins and maybe we'll call Ross later or find someone like him or whatever. But yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of those type of situations where now it's a bump, and, you know, and we got to put up some real money Sorry, but you need to do more for us to be on board with that. What's even worse for some of those teams in the top five, too, is the superstars right after them. Jamal Adams at six. Um, Mike Williams, not a superstar, but his fifth-year option was exercised. Christian McCaffrey got his new long-term deal already. Patrick Mahomes, 10. Marshawn Lattimore, 11. Deshaun Watson, 12. I mean, that's a really good group of players right there. That's a good point, too, is that I always go back to Eric E. Poor Eric Ebron, and I'm not harping on this because he's a stealer, but I always feel bad for him because he went right ahead Aaron Donald and Odell. You know, it's not <laughs> Darius Hayward Bay's fault that he was the ninth pick and good guys went behind you, but it makes you look a little worse and it makes the teams look a little worse. That's for sure. Absolutely. All right, let's talk AFC North draft review. 
Uh, there's some interesting drafts here in this division, and I know you have some very good um, knowledge about one of those teams that we'll finish up with in the Pittsburgh Steelers. But let's start with the Baltimore Ravens next. This episode is brought to you in part by Built Bar. Built Bars are tasty, and Built Bars are healthy. If you're looking for that energy, you need a snack. This is ideal, the ideal snack for me, because you don't want anything heavy. You don't want anything that is going to stick in your teeth when you're trying to do a podcast or a meeting. You got the video conference, right? You don't want to be the guy with stuff all over his teeth. The key here is the the health part to go along with the tastiness with low sugar, which is key for me because some of these bars are like 400 calories. They're sugar bombs. And it's crazy. It's supposed to be this thing you're doing healthy for yourself to have this bar instead of a meal, and you might as well be having dessert. But Bill's Bars, filled with protein, they, they taste as good as a candy bar. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and chewy. Uh, they're very easy to eat, smooth, love the texture. My favorite so far has been the peanut butter, although I've got a, a mix in my box that I, that I haven't finished yet. Mint chocolate is a really good flavor, but the peanut butter is my favorite. Here's what's crazy. 20 grams of protein, only 3 grams of sugar. You would never taste this and think it was only three grams of sugar. So uh, that's the biggest thing to me that, that makes me love these Built Bars is they taste fantastic, but they're not sugar bombs. So low calorie, low sugar, low carb, but high in protein, high in fiber, exactly what you need in a snack. And the best part is if you go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code Locked On, you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code Locked On. that's one word, Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. The Ravens got their linebacker in round one, and it was Patrick Queen, the athletic linebacker out of LSU. Round two, they came back with a running back, J.K. Dobbins, out of Ohio State, which uh, I'm not a running back high guy, but uh, that's an okay value there. Once you start getting out of the top 50 and getting a running back, an every-down guy as good as J.K. Dobbins, I'm starting to get really on board with that sort of a selection with how much emphasis the Ravens put on the running game more than any team in the NFL. Round three, Four third-round picks for the Baltimore Ravens here. Justin Matabuki, defensive tackle from Texas A&M. Devin DuVernay, speedster, wide receiver from Texas. Malik Harrison, inside linebacker from Ohio State. And Tyree Phillips, offensive tackle from Mississippi State. Then round four, Ben Bredesen, Michigan guard. Then a defensive tackle again, Broderick Washington Jr. from Texas Tech. In round five, round six, James Prochet. A sticky-handed wide receiver from SMU, and then they finished up with Geno Stone, which is a solid value all the way throughout this draft, a safety from Iowa in round seven. Yeah, and this this draft is getting rave reviews, and I understand why. I mean, first off, this is a really good organization that set themselves up well by some trades, obviously comp pick, you know, the use, they're one of the best teams in the league of massaging the comp pick world as paying off here with some of these picks. And I absolutely think value and need meshed over and over throughout the draft. I looked at needs and thought the second level of their defense is really questionable. And they add a nice compliment. And actually Cincinnati did this too. And we'll get to them, you know, later in the show. Harrison's much different than Queen. Harrison's a thumper, thicker, downhill guy, but yet still a good athlete where Queen is just run and hit all day long, young, basically a one-year starter at LSU, and the best is yet to come. So I think they really did a nice job making that a potential strength sooner than later because they're much better on the D-line through free agency and whatnot. 
Um, and they added Matabuke to that mix. Nice. And the secondary was already awesome. J.K. Dobbins here. I hear you that I'm not huge on investing in running backs, but uh, I said going into the draft, one of the most terrifying things to me is if the Ravens would have draft Jonathan Taylor in the first round, just because playing against them, oh, what a nightmare that would be. But Dobbins isn't much different. And actually, I like Dobbins better, Not maybe not for the Ravens. But at Ohio State, a ton of zone read stuff, um, some bigger holes that he, you know, all running backs like to run through big holes. But his skill set really exploits those big holes. And I think that'll continue the NFL level. Uh, I love the Devernay pick. And then you back it up with Prochet, two different styles, like the linebacker conversation. Two very different slot types. Devernay is fast. Prochet is just a slot machine who apparently fell for some medical concerns, which this time, you know, this in this environment may or may not be as big a deal as people think. And my slight, 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 um, you know, criticism is I think Yonder retiring is a massive, massive deal. And with all these picks, I'm not sure I would have waited till the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, but they added a tackle turning guard and then a pure guard that doesn't have the upside in Bredesen. So they, they went, they, they doubled up in a lot of spots with two different styles of player makes a lot of sense. And Geno stone, the seventh round, that's a good pick too. Yeah. Not a bad pick there. He should be at least a yeah. special teamer and, and could give him some depth on the defensive side of the ball. And who knows, even potentially start some games for the Ravens. So you can get that in round seven. I'm all about it. Uh, yeah. You double up on wide receiver, defensive tackle guard and linebacker. So that's uh, an interesting draft. You can tell the needs that they're trying right. to attack, and especially wide receiver. A lot of teams did use that depth of the wide receiver class to their advantage and draft multiple wide receivers, and I, I love that strategy. Um, yeah, again, again, it's uh, two different styles of slot receivers, but they're, I think the Ravens did really well. I did think at wide receiver, and you saw a lot of – the style of receiver that would get mocked to the Ravens, which I kind of agreed with before the draft was more of a rangy downfield type of receiver. And they didn't really get that. No, no, that's true. And one of my, I, I said this after they'd lost their playoff game and, and I've said it on these airways many times. I thought their receiver need was really a veteran eight year Derek Mason and Quan Bolden guy, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, drafting them is great. But then when the going gets tough and you need it's third and seven and you're down by 14, which is rarely the case for this team, you needed that guy in the playoffs that was going to get open against NFL coverage. And I wonder, will free agents be super excited to go to Baltimore at this position? Because it's never going to be a high volume passing attack. Do they have to keep drafting them? And in that case, will you ever get that veteran chain mover type? How do you envision Dobbins being used in his rookie season? Because it's still a pretty crowded running back room for Baltimore, and he's not going to just jump out and win a starting job. So third down sort of a role or just a pure backup where you, you bring him in for a series and then you let everybody else play a couple series. Uh, I'm interested to see how he gets integrated into the offense. I'm guessing, total guess, but by week eight, I'm going to say, He's the clear lead back in a fantasy starter. And with all respect oh, to Ingram. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I like Ingram. Kind of is what he is. And this isn't meant to be a fantasy show, but Ingram scored a lot more touchdowns than he probably should have. Runs really hard. But I think when you break it down and Dobbins gets comfortable, 
he's going to be harder to play against just because he's a lot more dynamic and athletic at this stage and offers more as a receiver too. So Ingram's the early down guy to start the year, and then at some point Dobbins is going to prove that he's just got too much juice and they can't keep him off the field? That's my prediction here. It's early May. I like it. That's not a bad prediction at all. Uh, Let's talk Cincinnati Bengals, who had the number one overall selection in the NFL draft and selected the guy everybody knew they would in LSU quarterback Joe Burrow. They got him a weapon in round two. T. Higgins out of Clemson. Logan Wilson, inside linebacker out of Wyoming with the first pick in round three. Round four, another linebacker with a little bit more speed, Akeem Davis-Gaither, uh, Appalachian State, a pick pick I really like there. Uh, Khalid Kareem, Notre Dame defensive end in round five. Round six, Akeem Adeniji, offensive tackle from Kansas, maybe guard. And then Marcus Bailey, who is a high upside linebacker, the third linebacker of this draft class. He's got a lot of injury questions. I think he's torn both ACLs at some point in his college career, but really good tape out of Purdue in round seven. And I think it's the first team that we've seen in all of the breakdowns here that just stuck with all their original picks, seven picks, the first (laughs) pick in every round. Yeah. Kind of boring that way, but okay. Um, Nothing boring about taking Joe Burrow. I mean, we don't need to talk about that one. Uh, It's a home run. Lucky for you. I think he's going to be a franchise changer to be very honest. I teased it earlier. I think the linebacker situation in Cincinnati has been horrible for several years now. And I thought they got two very different players at that position too. Wilson's a safe player, productive. Maybe he'll be a green dot guy sooner than later. Akeem Davis Gaither flies all over the field and he's the Patrick queen of the equation, you know, much like the, the, the Ravens conversation. Mm-hmm. And then the seventh round Bailey's been, been injured, but he's productive and worth a shot. And a minimum, he's going to be a special teamer for you. Um, I wish they'd have done more on the offensive line, but don't forget that Jonah Williams returns. And I think Adena Jay, as, as six-round picks go, you could do a lot worse. I could take or leave Kareem. And I think Higgins, I'm fine with. It's, it's a little bit chalky. Makes me think next year that Higgins and Boyd will be the starters and Green and Ross will probably be elsewhere. Ross is still somebody I could see being elsewhere even this year. If yeah. you know, even though the Bengals aren't that type of team to really make a, a ton of trades and, and move guys around a lot. T. Higgins was interesting to me, and I, I thought for sure that they would help out Joe Burrow in the second round, whether it's an offensive lineman or, or a wide receiver. But I thought the, the choice of Higgins was interesting because body type wise, he had been compared so often to AJ Green with his length and he's not the same player AJ Green is obviously and I thought he might have slid a little bit but then when I saw him to to the Bengals in round two I thought okay hmm, are they trying to get somebody similar to AJ Green with that catch radius and help Joe Burrow out because he throws such a beautiful deep ball and help him out down the field and make some big plays and someone who could probably come in and play pretty early even though he really had some poor workouts in uh, the lead up to the draft yeah and take it a little more schematically further And this is nothing against A.J. Green, who does everything, obviously. But Burrow made a lot of hay working the middle of the field with slot-type guys, which I think bodes really well for Boyd. Mm -hmm. But also in this Rams passing attack, you'll see a lot of layered concepts, you know, where Ross might be the cooks that takes the top off, Higgins is the intermediate, and, you know, somebody else is Boyd's underneath, and you read half the field. But I, I think Higgins' body and his thickness and strength 
holds up well as an intermediate and some in-breaking routes type of receiver too. Yeah, no, I could see that running dig routes and using his body mm-hmm. too. And he's really good at the catch point, probably one of the best receivers in this draft in that regard. And then I think probably, I mean, young quarterback, run the ball as much as you can, play action, then you can pop over the top there with some plays yeah. to, to guys like Higgins and the rest of that wide receiver group. So uh, nice for the Bengals to go help out their quarterback in round two because they know they're going to lose some veterans next year, and it might just be Boyd and Higgins uh, in year two with Joe Burrow, which is uh, very interesting. It'll look a lot different there in Cincinnati than it has for a very long time. Yeah, and I think that offense has some sneaky fantasy appeal. You know, like, and there's a couple of them, like the Giants and maybe the Panthers. The people aren't necessarily going to be great teams, but their offense might be better than people think. All right, let's finish this thing up. AFC North with the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Matt, the Cleveland Browns have been getting a ton of credit for the draft they put together, and a lot of people give him. Uh, I've seen a lot of A's out there for the Cleveland Browns, and I really like this draft as well. Did you have this draft as high? And I just saw a story recently that said, Jedrick Wills, we drafted him number 10 overall. Uh, he played right tackle at Alabama. He's going to be ready to play left tackle by week one. That was the report I just saw before we went on the air, actually. So uh, interesting there. Offensive tackle Jedrick Wills to the Browns at pick 10 in round one. In round two, they came back with LSU safety Grant Delpit. Jordan Elliott, interior pass rusher in round three, which was a pretty darn good value to me. Defensive tackle from Missouri. Jacob Phillips, inside linebacker from LSU in round three. Round four, Harrison Bryant, tight end from Florida Atlantic. Round five, Nick Harris, an undersized but athletic center out of Washington. And Donovan Peoples-Jones, high upside wide receiver from Michigan in round six. Yeah, and a lot of brand name guys, you know, guys that were on lists, this time last year, you know, they, they were expected to really finish their, their career in college really strong. And some did and some didn't. You know, Delpit had a down year and never would have got him at 44 if this pick would, if this draft would have happened a year ago. Wills was my number one tackle and I felt strong about it. And this is a minor concern, but he's never played the left side. I mean, and there's and I think this year that's exasperated a little just because no mini camps. I mean, right now they'd be in rookie mini camp and he's not, you know I mean? Just, I, 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 it gives me a little pause. I still would have made the pick. He's my favorite offensive lineman in this draft, but I forget who it was. It might've been Jeff Schwartz or Baldy or some, one of these O lineman turned analysts that said switching from left tackle to right tackle is like wiping your butt with the other hand. You know <laughs> I mean? Like it, 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 I, I think that's a really good analogy. It could be a little messy. Um, Luckily, though, he has a a full offseason to get ready, and I think that's probably the hardest bit is to say, okay, you've been practicing all training camp on the right side. Oh, shoot, we had an injury. Now go play the left side. I think that's a lot more difficult than saying, look, from here on out, every day, you know, go work on that footwork. Go work on everything backwards from what you've been doing the last three years, and you have months to get ready, which I think helps. And um, it it does hurt, though, that they don't have those on-field mini camps, though, to, to put in work like that. So it's interesting, but I think Wills can do it. I think he's a fantastic fit for the scheme there uh, on offense with the Browns, just like Nick Harris was in round five, that athletic center that can get out to the second level in those outside zone schemes. thought that was fantastic. High upside tight end and, and wide receiver. I mean, this, I mean, every pick I thought was pretty much value. I mean, Jacob Phillips was the only one where I wasn't like, oh, that's an awesome value. And not that I hated that pick or anything, but everywhere else it was like, you know, Delpit. It was like, if he went in the first round, nobody would have been surprised. If Jedrick Wills was the fourth pick to the Giants, nobody would have been surprised. But there was a reason that 
I would always mock uh, uh, Andrew Thomas to the Browns is because he played left tackle because Conklin obviously is going to be the right tackle. So that's the one question is how early and how quickly, even though I believe he can do it, can Jedrick Wills get ready to be that starting left tackle in the NFL? Yeah, and to your point, right now he could be watching Seinfeld and at the commercial he gets up out of his lazy boy and does a couple kick slides <laughs> out of his leg. You know, like you don't have to necessarily be on the field all the time, and it's not like he's thrust in the action. He's thinking about it every second of the day. He could be in the shower going, oh, I can do that. You know, like so there is a, an adjustment time, even if he's not at minicamp. He surely is getting his mind processed around playing on the left side. I also think this offseason has really shown us, you know, glaringly, they want to be the Vikings. They want to be zone blocking. Nick Harris yep. is not a center for everyone, but he's a center for them because he can really move. And they're going to play with a lot of tight ends. You bring in Hooper and Harrison Bryant and pick up Najoku's option. Folks, they're telling you exactly how they want to play. And the third receiver position is a little bit up in the air. But considering the athlete that People Jones is with the 187th pick, I mean, he, he was really held back by Shea Patterson. It might not work out, but that is absolutely worth the risk as you know, there's a spot there for playing time. And then on defense, Delpit, Elliott, Phillips, strength right up the middle. You know, two LSU guys go to Cleveland and get to learn together. Phillips was basically the green dot guy in LSU. It wasn't Queen. He was the one that made the, the, the play calls and got everybody aligned. So I'm sure he'll be him and Delpit will be useful for one another. And I thought that's what the defense needed. I thought I needed help right up the middle and they got it at all three levels. And I didn't think there was a huge difference between Jordan Elliott and guys like Ross Blacklock in this draft. No. So to get him around later, more than around later, I thought was fantastic value there for an interior rusher. And I, I you know, I guess Jordan Elliott only had one year of big time production there at Missouri. So maybe that's why he fell a little bit, but um, and he was a darling at PFF had, I think the best interior pass rush win rate in the entire class, according to pro football focus, but mm. uh, something you said there, which, which hit me and this goes to every class and veterans and rookies around the NFL. You mentioned sitting on the lazy boy, watching uh, Seinfeld and then getting up in the commercials and, and working on some footwork. That's awesome. You just hope that some of these guys aren't getting up during the commercials and going and getting a pint of ice cream. There's somebody that's going to show up <laughs> right, to training camp right. whenever that is. That's going to be like 40 pounds overweight, and I can't wait to find out who those players are. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of them. I bet you know, like ah, I'm not going to work <laughs> my kick slide. I'm going to get another beer and right. wash it down with an ice cream sundae. You know, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. All right, let's talk Pittsburgh Steelers, Matt. The the team you have the most intimate knowledge about they did not have a first round draft pick but they uh, have some pretty good players to show for that pick uh, a, a defense that's just outstanding and I know you put some money on and advise people hey easy money they're going to draft an offensive player in round two it wasn't a running back it was a wide receiver out of Notre Dame Chase Claypool with the 17th pick in round two they came back in round three Alex Highsmith outside linebacker from Charlotte Anthony McFarland Jr. running back from Maryland in round four Second pick in round four was Kevin Dotson out of Louisiana, an offensive guard. Then a safety, Antoine Brooks Jr. from Maryland in round six. And Carlos Davis, defensive tackle from Nebraska in round seven. Break down this class for me, Matt. Yeah, I mean, you got to factor in that Minka was the first round pick and their third round pick went in the Bush trade. So they were playing a little behind the eight ball. And I think that they you know, weren't super aggressive. I think they looked at it and said, 
this is going to be a needs-based draft. There's a couple boxes we need to check, and we got to find a third edge rusher. We got to bring another, you know, playmaker in or two. Absolutely, Connor and Juju are free agents after this year. Um, start with Claypool. I mean, he is he has unique traits. I mean, massive. What I love about him is he had a ton of special teams tackles. He's a really good blocker. So I like the pick a lot more after it happened than when it did. I, I didn't have him quite at this level, but I can see what they like about him. And in some ways, I think he's very Evan Ingram-ish and maybe even a better blocker. But right now they're saying he's a wide out. I bet as he grows, he'll do more, you know, uh, crash in on a defensive end or line up it as an H-back type of situation. So there's a lot to work with there. Um, Highsmith's a small school guy, a late bloomer came to Charlotte as a very lean off the ball linebacker keeps growing, keeps growing. Um, I think he'll need a red shirt year, but bud is also a free agent after the, the year too. So bud Connor and Juju are all up after this year. That was their first three picks were those three positions. McFarland is at best a Austin Eckler type. You know, he played with a high ankle sprain this entire year, which I didn't realize till after the fact. And his tape in the two years ago was quite good. He's explosive. He's a playmaker. They're looking for offensive playmakers more than specific positions. I don't think he'll ever be a league guy. A little bit of work in progress as a receiver. Doxon was the first player off the board who didn't get a combine invite. So when the pick came in, I'm like, mm, I don't know who that is. I got to find, I, I got to scramble. I know the name, but I don't know anything about him. Start watching and reading like crazy on him. He's a good player. He's a pure guard. He's a pure masher. Coincidentally, grew up a massive Steelers fan, which doesn't really matter. But uh, when I interviewed him, he was a fun guy to talk to. And Dane Brugler uh, <laughs> referred to him in his guide as looks like that bouncer that loves to throw people out of the bar. And I made that joke <laughs> with him on the air. And he's like, I am a bouncer. I'm like, oh, great. And we didn't know that either. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty funny. Take their second guy from Maryland and Antoine Brooks, who is an in-the-box safety, but I thought he fell longer than I expected. I thought he'd be more of a fifth-round type guy, obviously special team contributor. I think he might be a little bit of a barren player more than he will be a deep safety. And then Carlos Davis from Nebraska, he's the third twin on the Steelers, by the way, strange. And he is very, very explosive, shot discus guy, um, phenomenal 40 at the combine, great get off, but he explodes off the ball and then has no idea what to do after that. Just like overruns people. Like he's just this moldable, explosive, big thing of clay. And then the last thing I just want to mention here too, and I'm sure you have a question or two is not a coincidence in my opinion, that two Maryland guys go to the Steelers. And why I say that is they had two coaches that they either hired from Maryland or directly connected there. And, oh, by the way, Coach Tomlin's son, Dino, is a Maryland Terrapin. Ah, okay. How okay. about that? It's starting to come together. I mean, you see so much of that around the league and connections and people who trust certain coaches and draft players from certain universities because of those reasons. And, well, first of all, I mean, the NFL is, you know, some people say it stands for the nepotism football league. So, like, there's a lot of incestual uh, stuff going on with front office people and hires. But, I mean, it's even in player personnel and and drafting players and picking up free agents and guys who played with people before and, and having a, a level of trust for what kind of a person you're bringing in. So when it comes to that, and I think even with this draft, teams were probably smart to lean on that. And 
and yeah. go with universities, colleges, and coaches that they trust so they could get a really clear report on the football players they were bringing in because they didn't have a chance to go as deep in the background stuff as maybe they would have in other years. Yes, exactly. And I, I did a Zoom call with Kevin Colbert and Brandon Hunt, who is their director of pro personnel, but is involved in everything. I mean, he's kind of like the number two-ish, something along those lines. Hard to, you know, those are a little vague. And I asked them both. I was like, I didn't directly say, did you only, did you take these Maryland guys because you know more? But I mean, I, I really got the feeling of talking to them that there was a, a an additional comfort in a time when it was hard to find great information that those Maryland connections we're legit. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you know these guys well, especially a guy that played with an ankle injury all last year, you know, those type of things, it, it's great information. Looking at this draft, and I thought the same, my initial reaction seeing Claypool that early, and I thought he might go early because of how great he tested. It felt really yeah. early for me. And hearing you say, okay, wide receiver, not a tight end, I think that's very interesting with this class. And I looked at how they went smaller school, linebacker round three, running back in round four. Matt, in your opinion, do you think they could have maximized the talent at those positions if they did it in a different order? J.K. Dobbins still on the board in round two. They could have gone wide receiver round three, you know, linebacker round four, something like that. That's been discussed a lot on my the drive, my Steelers show, because everyone in Pittsburgh wanted Dobbins when he was there. And frankly, I would have made that pick. I said that going into the draft. I mean, I didn't have Claypool as one of my 10 receivers I would have taken at 49. And doubling things down, he goes to the dreaded Ravens. So Pittsburgh fans are even <laughs> madder about it, you know, which is not the Steelers' fault, but they're going to blame him anyways. Um, but I kind of did a mock in the opposite, you know, like what if they would have taken Dobbins? How do you think this draft goes? And we, we went over a lot of different scenarios. And in the end, I like this better, you know, that I don't know that Juju is going to be back next year. I mean, that's not a done deal. And I think McFarland's a pretty good prospect and receivers went pretty darn quick. I mean, I, I thought you'd be getting, you know, the Steelers made that, that fourth round pick, I, I thought you'd be getting receivers with late second, early third round grades on them. Really wasn't the case. People grabbed them. That's interesting. And we always talk about on this show, Matt, how you should listen to what teams are telling you. Is that telling you right now? Drafting a second round wide receiver was them saying, we don't want to wait on this position because we know we're not bringing back Juju. I don't want to go that far, and I bet their mind is not that made up. I think it's a much better chance they know they're not bringing back Connor with all his injuries and running backs for bad investments. I'm not sure on Bud, but I certainly don't think that wide receiver edge running back was an accident, and I bet if they do this draft 100 times, those top three positions go in some order, a high percentage of them, with Juju, Dupree, and Connor all up. So Juju's coming off a rough year. I mean, and he's going to want 18 million or something. He'd yeah. be a tough guy for me to pay. That's interesting. That's one to monitor there with Juju Smith-Schuster and the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, that'll do it for today's episode. That is the AFC North. Be back tomorrow with the South. We'll finish things up with the AFC East Wednesday, then a Twitter Thursday on Thursday right here. Locked on NFL.